Well, turn with me now in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read briefly from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just verses 18 through 30. This will provide us a little bit of context for our sermon passage. The sermon this morning is Proverbs chapter 8. So in a moment, we'll turn over to Proverbs chapter 8. But first, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 30. Paul here compares the wisdom of this world to the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 30. And now the word of the Lord. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren. That not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. Paul teaches us that there are two ways of going about religion in humanity. The first is the Jewish way, seeking after signs. That is, some sort of superlative experience of the divinity revealing himself to us. Secondly, he says we can do it like the Greeks. We can fill our heads with reason, thinking about the world and attempting to build, as it were, an intellectual babel, a tower to the heavens. We either look for God to reveal himself from the heavens in a sign, or we seek to think our way up to God in our wisdom. Paul rebukes both approaches. And Paul says there is a third way, a different way. It is Christ crucified. That this is the way in which God makes himself known to us. That that which is wise, even though it appears otherwise, is the self-sacrificial love of God for a sinful human 
race. That this is true wisdom. This is what wisdom is really about. Knowing God's love in Christ. With this in mind, turn back to Proverbs chapter 8. Our sermon passage this morning is Proverbs chapter 8. There are 36 verses here. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 through 36. We've been looking at Proverbs chapters 1 through 9, which is a sort of introduction to the book in which Solomon is taking larger sections than we generally think of. Chapters 1 through 3, he's introduced his son to what is wisdom and to how we get it and to what it does to us when we get it. In chapters 3 through 7, he's introduced us to eight essential divine qualities that we can experience in our lives when we become wise. And now in chapters 8 and 9, Solomon is bringing his introduction to a conclusion. But he's doing it in a great Hebrew way. He's basically just reviewing chapters 1 through 3. Why does Solomon bother to write basically the exact same content in chapters 8 and 9 that he wrote in chapters 1, 2, and 3? How many of you remember the sermons on chapters 1, 2, and 3? That's why. We don't listen so good. And we don't remember so well. And so Solomon repeats his message. Proverbs chapter 8. Hear now the word of the Lord. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. For my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting. 
From the beginning, before there was ever an earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth of the fields, or the primal dust of the earth. When he had prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so the waters would not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways, hear instruction and be wise and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoever finds me finds life. And obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. Amen. And amen. Yesterday afternoon, after a week of being in Vermont, buried in a stack of books, reading vigorously on how to be a good shepherd. I decided it was time to go bike riding. Actually, my wife told me to take a bike ride. And I pulled out the bike, and I hopped on the bike, and I headed down to the Charles. I swung around the Museum of Science and was coming back on the Boston side. And all of a sudden, I felt really tired and sluggish. And I thought, what's going on? I had just had the bike tuned up and fixed up. I knew it was running smooth and swift. I had slept well all week and was much refreshed and rested from all my reading. And then I remembered, in my enthusiasm and joy of being told by my wife to go for a bike ride, I had forgotten to eat lunch. And the empty stomach was making me sluggish and slow. Being a cyclist, I thought to myself, well, that's all right. I have power in my back pocket. And I reached into my back pocket, and there was my cell phone, and there was my bike pump, and there was my inner tube, but there was no food. And I thought, this is going to be a long, hard ride. And it was. You see, the truth is, my friends, you cannot physically put out what you have not put in. The truth is that What is in the muscle must first come into the mouth. And what is true of the body is likewise true of the spirit and of the soul. We cannot hope to produce holiness if we do not receive holy instruction. We cannot hope to live righteously if we do not receive righteous words. Solomon gives to his son this good news. That it is the word of God which gives to us God himself. God's Word gives us God's thoughts. When we listen to the Word of God, we receive inside of us God Himself, God's thoughts and feelings and love and affection. And as we have within us God's thoughts, 
we then have spiritual power, spiritual life, to live and to live righteously, holy, and well. Solomon is again instructing his son in this good news, that it is the Word of God that gives us the life of God. And so I beg you this morning, listen to God's Word. Listen carefully to God's Word. Listen to it now. Notice that Solomon first begins with a rhetorical question. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? This rhetorical question is intended to bring the audience to the obvious conclusion. Yes, she does. Wisdom is not a silent creature. Wisdom is not obscure and she does not hide. Wisdom is someone who cries and cries aloud. Someone who lifts up her voice. Wisdom is loud and easily heard. In verse 2, we learn that wisdom takes her stand on top of the high hill so that all in the valleys around her can hear her. Not only is she loud, but she's lifted up into a place of prominence that all the world might hear her. She is there beside the way where the paths meet, that is, at the crossroads. So that at every juncture of life where humans must gather together, she is there. Thirdly, she is at the gates and at the entry of the city. So that all those who would come for commerce and all those who would come for politics might be there at the portal listening to her. There is wisdom speaking. Wisdom is speaking from the highest heights of creation. Wisdom is speaking at all the crossroads of human relationships. Wisdom is speaking in all of the infrastructure and institutions of human civilization. In fact, in verse 4, she is speaking and saying, O humans, O sons of humans, everyone everywhere, it is to you I call. She specifies in verse 5, simple ones who need to learn prudence. Fools who do not have understanding hearts. In other words, Solomon says to his son, wisdom is someone who is public and available. Wisdom is a person, a woman, who speaks loudly, openly, availably. If, my friends, we lack wisdom, it is not wisdom's fault. Indeed, If we are fools and simple-minded in the way we live our lives, it is not a mental problem. It is a moral problem. It is our unwillingness to listen to the sounds that are there. Now, what does Solomon mean by this extended metaphor? To humor our more theologically-minded culture. What he means is general and special revelation. Now, do you guys get it? General revelation that that God speaks in the creation. That if you were to ascend to the crown of the continent, as I hope to in a few weeks, that's Glacier National Park, you may stand at the very pinnacle of the Rocky Mountains and look out across the divide, east and west. And you can see the glory of the creation spread like a carpet at your feet. And what is there screaming? There is a God. And he is good and he is wise and he is powerful. 
Wisdom is crying out in the creation. But what about these crossroads and these city gates? Within the consciences of humans, wisdom is crying out. We are a people convicted of sin. Even the hardest heart and even the darkest mind yet flickers with an awareness of evil and a love of good. Wisdom cries out in the creation and in the human conscience. But most of all, most importantly for us and for Solomon's son, wisdom cries out in the scriptures, in the Bible. We hear wisdom in the creation, we hear wisdom in the conscience, but most of all, most powerfully, most clearly, we hear wisdom in the word of God. She cries out, And there is something remarkable about this because in Solomon's day, the word of God was restricted to a few dusty scrolls that were brought out on festivals in order to be read to the people. But not so in our day, is it? Tim this morning prayed for the churches in Japan. Tim this morning prayed for Maggie who's going to Costa Rica. I love doing this. It's one of the highlights of the Cambridge RP Church. How many of us were born in the United States? The word of God is being preached all over the world. The creation is being filled with the wisdom of God which cries out that wisdom that says we need Jesus. There is a longing in the creation for the revealing of the Son of God. And when we will listen to wisdom cry out in the creation, there awakens within us a longing for the Son of God and His revealing. And when we listen to the wisdom of God in our consciences, we learn our desperate and dire need for the Son of God to be revealed to us. We feel the cut and conviction of sin. And when we listen to wisdom in the Scriptures, we learn the Son of God. Our Savior. This is what Solomon says to his son. Wisdom is crying out. The creation is saying we need Jesus. The conscience is saying we need Jesus. And the scriptures are saying here is Jesus. Creation, conscience, and scripture are in harmony. Calling out, crying out. Let us know Jesus. And this then is what wisdom gives us. According to Solomon. So as wisdom begins to cry out in all these ways and in all these places. She says to the simple ones and the fools. Listen. Verse 6. Listen. For I will speak of excellent things. Further she says right things. Thirdly in verse 7. She shall speak truth. In this way she speaks of the content. These are nouns. This is the content of her cry. What does she say when she cries out? Excellent things, right things, true things. She speaks what is excellent. That is superlative above all the other things. Better than the creation is the creator. Better than the conscience is the cleanser of the conscience. Better than the scriptures are all is the one of whom the scriptures speak. He is the excellent thing of which Wisdom cries. Further, Jesus is 
the right and true thing of which wisdom speaks. When wisdom speaks, she speaks of Jesus. He is right, he is true, he is excellent. But then she says in verses 7 through 9 that she speaks of him in a particular manner. She speaks righteous with righteousness. She speaks plainly. She speaks rightly, that is truthfully. Not only is wisdom resolved to press us toward the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but wisdom is resolved to do it well, to do it wisely. Her words are with righteousness. She reveals not only Jesus, but Jesus as our righteousness, that which our consciences are crying for. She reveals him plainly, that we might know him rightly, truthfully, and completely. We're not a people easily confused when we listen to wisdom. She reveals him rightly so that we might have knowledge of him, true knowledge of him. And so she says in verses 10 and 11, receive my instruction. There is a passivity to this growth, a passivity to this discovery. If we are to listen, ears must be alert, but hearts must be receptive. Receive my instruction. That is, by faith, welcome within the Christ who is presented to us in wisdom. Not silver, not choice gold, not rubies, not anything you desire. Does anyone recognize those lines? It's from a 1990s praise song. Again, you know, those those who grew up with that praise and worship chorus type music. Only in that one, the pronoun is he, not her. In this way, we see that Solomon is pointing his son to the word that speaks the name of Christ. The word of God, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ. She is the one who echoes in the ear of his son enriching his life better than silver, better than gold, better than rubies, better than anything our hearts desire. What can you do with silver, gold, and rubies? What can you do with your heart's desires? You can acquire. You can obtain. You can purchase. You can add and add and add. And boy, we live in a culture that is excellent at consumption. In fact, the vast majority of our culture measures its success by its ability to consume. We evaluate our economy largely on consumption. We evaluate our politicians in their ability to get us to consume. We evaluate our self-worth on what we consume. This is what we do with wealth. And yet Solomon says there is something better in life than wealth. It is wisdom. It is the knowing of God, the knowing of His Son, Jesus Christ. It is the discovery of who we are really meant to be, our true identity in Him, our true identity as human beings in this world. This is what wisdom is crying out. I can teach you to be human. I can teach you to be a true creature living rightly in this world. I can put you in touch with the example of a true and perfect human 
And I can put you in relation with Him. That you might be transformed by Him. You see, wisdom cries out to every human everywhere. And says, I have something better than wealth. I have Jesus. He is truth and righteousness and goodness. Will you listen? Will you receive? Friends, what did you listen to this week? Because we are all listening. What did you receive into your soul? For we are always receiving. It is amazing that after a week of reading through over a thousand pages of books, having never once touched an electronic device, I came home and yesterday afternoon I opened Facebook and realized, I don't miss this thing. Nothing valuable has been said in six days on this thing. Isn't it stunning? What are you listening to? We are a people whose thoughts are formed by what we hear. Whose feelings are guided by what we hear. What are we listening to? What are we receiving? What are we taking in? Is it the wisdom of God? The word of God? In which we find Jesus Christ. Jesus is given to us in the word. Now Solomon again tells his son. This is that foundation layer. Some of you may remember this now that I'm saying it again. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the knowledge of God and of His will for our salvation. What is wisdom? It is knowing Christ and being in that knowledge of Christ. Solomon then says to his son again, what such things will do. What such wisdom will do. Beginning in verse 12, he addresses the transformation of his son, which comes by a listening to wisdom. A receiving of wisdom. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. This first statement reveals wisdom's power to transform our thoughts. Wisdom dwells with prudence and finds out knowledge and discretion. Wisdom equips the wise to think rightly about the world. But secondly, in verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and evil way in the perverse mouth I hate. That is to say that wisdom trains the heart to reverence God, to fear God, and to hate evil. Pride, arrogance, and the perverse mouth. We need training in our hearts to love as God loves and hates as God hates. Because let me tell you, it's hard to hate evil when you are its source. It's easy to hate evil in the world. It's easy to hate evil of all those bad people out there. But I need the wisdom of God within me. I need to listen to the wisdom of God in order to hate the evil that I myself produce. I hate the evil of the proud and arrogant people who hurt me. It is far harder to hate the evil pride and arrogance that I use to hurt others. And so my heart must be trained in wisdom. But then in verse 14, Solomon tells his son that counsel is with wisdom, sound wisdom. I am understanding and I am in strength. In this way, Solomon points his son to the skillful working of his hands. Then not only does his mind get trained by wisdom, his heart gets trained by wisdom. 
His hands get trained by wisdom. Wisdom, when we listen to it and when we receive it, when we bring it inside of ourselves, transforms us as a self. We become clearer thinkers, better feelers, and far better actors. With counsel to do the right thing, with sound wisdom to discern between true and false, right and evil. We have understanding and with it strength that is the power to act in the right way. You see, first and foremost, when we acquire the wisdom of God, that is a knowledge of Jesus Christ, it changes us. It changes who we are, how we think, how we feel, how we act. And as Christ works within us His wisdom, we become Christ-like. Now, as we are transformed by this internalizing of Christ, this listening to the words of Christ, this receiving of Christ in the wisdom of God's word, we are also then transformed in how we relate to others. Not only do my thoughts change to be like Christ's thoughts, not only does my heart change to be like Christ's heart, not only do my actions change to be like Christ's actions, but then I am transformed in how I relate to others. In verses 15 and 16, Solomon says, or rather has wisdom say, By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles, all the judges of the earth. No one has more power, more privilege, more self-centered capacity than a king, a ruler, a prince, a noble, a judge. Solomon picks the very pinnacle of humanity and says all those who have the ability to exercise all their own selfish ambition, if they act justly, if they serve others and not self, it is because they have heard the wisdom of God. It is because they have discovered the cross of Christ. It is because they have discovered the truth that justice flows from a self-sacrificing leader. Again, all week long, week after page after page, I have read about shepherding, and wouldn't you believe it, but every single book and every single page, again and again, no matter who you're reading, when they talk about how to be a good shepherd, their conclusion is by laying down your life for the sheep. You don't get beyond it. It's Jesus' fundamental teaching. A good leader is one who sacrifices himself for his people. The ones who are in authority are given authority in order to deny themselves and serve others. This is wisdom. This is the word of God because it is further the work of God. That not only does Jesus teach us to hate evil and to be a new self, a lover of God and reverencing God, But in our relationships with others, we employ all our power and all our wealth and all our wisdom to do well the work of God. To be just in our relationships. Not only does the wisdom of God then transform us and transform our relationships, that we would love others even as we love good, but then Solomon says it transforms our relationship with God himself. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently will find me. Before I press into the relationship with God, notice in verse 17, 
that it requires a diligent seeking. I have to lean into this because we're lousy readers. We have a bad habit as Christians. I begin every day with a cup of coffee in my Bible. It's a little tricky. Some days the coffee doesn't get to me fast enough and the Bible ends and my brain has not begun. Perhaps you have another tradition with different faults and different failings and it's a struggle. How do I actually hear wisdom when I read the Word of God? How do I, how do I actually receive Jesus, the content of these pages? How do I get beyond simply understanding the ink on the paper, but understanding the God who spoke this to me in love. I love those who love me. He spoke these words because he loved you. He gave you this book because he loved you. And the response from us should be to seek him diligently. He doesn't come cheap. Do you remember 1849? I know none of you were there. Maybe you read about it. So many Americans moved west to California in the hopes of kicking over chunks of gold on the surface of the earth. When they got there, they found that gold had to be dug out of the ground. It was hard work. Friends, we must listen carefully to the word of God in order to hear the voice of God. We must receive Christ from the scriptures deep into our souls that he might transform our thoughts, our hearts, our actions. We must seek him diligently. Notice the focus of the scriptures is that we would through these songs, these stories, these poems, these proverbs, seek Jesus specifically. That we would seek to know him that we would seek to love him as he has loved us. The reason for this pursuit of Christ in the scriptures is again given in verses 18 through 21. Riches and honor are with me, indeed enduring riches in righteousness. I appreciate that wisdom clarified what kind of riches she speaks of and what kind of honor. When she says riches and honor are with me, she does not mean improvement in your life. This is not a prosperity gospel. No, rather she speaks of enduring riches and righteousness. That is that which survives the grave. Since you cannot take the riches and honor of this world with you, it is not the goal and end of wisdom that we should have them. Rather, whether we have them or not, there is a true richness and righteousness we can and should possess. It is everlasting riches and righteousness. Better than gold, fine gold, better than silver, choice silver. It is the way of righteousness and the path of justice. It is the way to get through this world into the world that is to come. It is the way to get through this life into the life that is to come. And those who love me, now we're back to verse 17. Those who love me and seek me diligently inherit wealth. I fill their treasuries. Let me sum it up this way. Those who will diligently seek the scriptures looking to be a better person will end up selling Jesus short. It's not what he's selling you. Those who seek the scriptures looking for eternal life 
should be wonderfully and beautifully surprised at Jesus' answer to the Pharisees. They speak of me. What riches does wisdom offer you? What treasure, everlasting treasure, does wisdom offer you? It is Christ, the way of righteousness, the paths of justice. It is Jesus, the one who gives you his righteousness, who trains you to walk in righteousness, and who welcomes you forever into a life of righteousness. This is the wonder of our transformation in wisdom. Why is it so wonderful? Why is it so glorious and so good? It is because Jesus himself is wonderful, glorious, and good. In verses 22 through 31, there is a survey of wisdom's place with God. There are three parts, just as there were previously to us. Not only does wisdom, when we listen to it, when we receive it, transform us, transform our relationships to others, and transform our relationship to God by bringing us into His family eternally through the righteousness of Christ. But here now, we see in wisdom Christ's beautiful self. Christ's beautiful relationship to others and Christ's beautiful relationship to God. Do you understand Solomon's wisdom? Solomon's stunningly beautiful proverb. Why are we transformed so perfectly? Because Christ is so perfect. Why are our relationships so wonderfully perfected by Christ? Because he is wonderfully perfect in his relationships. Why do we enter into such a dear and sweet fellowship with our Heavenly Father? Because that's what Christ has always had. It is union with Christ again that emerges. In verses 22 and following, wisdom says that the Lord possessed me at the beginning. Notice again then there are time markers that proceed before his works of old, from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was an earth, when there was no depths, when there were no fountains, before the mountains, before the hills. Well, as yet he had not made the earth, fields, or primal dust. Wisdom brings out the three large pockets of the creation, the sky, the waters, and the dry land, and says that wisdom predates all of them. Wisdom is older than the sky, older than the sea, older than the dry land. In a Hebrew economy, to be old means to be wise, means to be most wise. And so to say that wisdom predates the creation is to say that wisdom is wiser than all the creation put together. This is an incredibly powerful argument for those who remember the book of Job, in which God answers Job and says, hey, do you know about the goat? Do you know about the stars? Do you know about the seas? You do this. You explain to me the creation that you can see, touch, and feel, and hear, and taste. And I'll explain to you the invisible realities that are behind it. No deal? Okay. Then just follow my word. Then just listen to my wisdom. In this way, God says there is an invisible reality behind all that we see. 
There is a wisdom that shapes and holds together the entire creation. That wisdom is the word of God. What is the one thing that preceded in creation, creation itself? And God said. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus was there in the beginning. In his person, there is something greater than the sum total of creation. If you rolled up all the national parks of America together and stuck them in your pocket, they'd be lighter than Jesus' little finger. He is far more beautiful than all the world. Far more wonderful and glorious. He was there when it was made. He was the one like Aslan going to and fro singing the song of creation. Bringing this beauty into being. Why is it that when we listen to the wisdom of God that is the word of Jesus Christ. And we receive it into our soul. We are transformed into a wonderful human being. Because Jesus is that original most beautiful and wonderful person. He was there with the father from the beginning. And all that has come to pass according to the apostle Paul. Has come to pass through him. By him. For him. He is the word from the beginning that brought creation into being. But so too, Solomon says again, that as the mountains were settled, hills were not yet, there was no dust in fields. Wisdom says in verse 27, he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the foundations of the deep, when he assigned the sea its limits so the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. You see, he was witness to the work of creation. Not only was wisdom, the word of God, Jesus Christ, originally there to behold the outplay of creation, but he watched in detail everything that played out. The wisdom that wraps this world and holds it together. The wisdom that makes sense invisibly of all that is visible and experiential is something Christ has seen. Something Christ knows. He has not only entered into the reality of creation, but the reality of history. He knows humanity, not simply as a creature, but as a creature in time, lived and felt and loved and lost. He understands the world and how it relates one to another. Why is it that our relationships are suddenly filled with justice, goodness, and self-sacrificial love? Because this is what Christ is. The knower of the world. The maker of the world. Again, to a quote the Apostle Paul who said it better than I. In Him we live and move and have our being. Even as the creation was made by Him, through Him, and for Him, so too humanity exists in Him, through Him, and for Him. Christ is the head of creation, and Christ is the head of humanity. Wisdom is knowing this world, that is Christ's world. Wisdom is knowing this humanity with which we live, that is Christ's humanity. It is knowing Jesus, the true Creator, the Chief of creation, the true human, the chief of humanity. And so thirdly and lastly, verse 30 and 31, it is Christ in relation to God the Father. I was beside him as a master craftsman 
and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. There is an incredibly beautiful picture here, one that many of us can relate closely to. Some of my fondest memories from the farm growing up, I do not tell you in this pulpit. They belong to me. Me as a son. There was no greater joy on my farm than working with my father. And so it was with Christ in the creation. I was with him like a master craftsman. I was daily his delight. You remember those days of creation? Let there be light, and all of a sudden there's light everywhere, and what is the Father enjoying? Far less the light and far more the Word, His Son. Day two, let there be the skies and the seas, and let them be separated. Far better than the waters above and the waters below is the Word, His Son, that made it so. Daily he was delighting in the Trinitarian fellowship that was spilling out into this glorious creation, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world. Even as the Father was rejoicing so greatly in the Son, and they together out of their fullness of joy were working in harmony in the beautiful creation of the world. Daily, six days they created Notice at the end of verse 31, what is the son's delight? And my delight was in Adam. And I loved that human being whose dust I kissed and breathed life into. And I loved that human being who was going to eat that fruit so that I would take his flesh and die for his sin. And I love that human being. This is our Christ. The chief and best part of all creation. The chief and best part of all humanity. The one who is daily the delight of his father at the beginning of the world. Who was daily delighting in us. And his delight in humanity, his delight in creation was so total, so complete, so powerful that he would not even allow sin and the fall to bring an end to that relationship. But he himself, God, would take flesh and dwell among us. Wisdom, the word of God from the beginning in whom, through whom, and for whom all things were made, in whom we live and move and have our being, he should come and take to himself a true body and a reasonable soul that he might pour out his life for us, the sons of men. Now, therefore, wisdom says in verse 32, now, therefore, now that you behold the glory of Jesus, Now that you behold the only glory of the begotten of God, the only begotten Son of God, listen to me, my children. Listen to wisdom. Listen to the scriptures. 
Listen to the word of God, for happy are those who keep my ways. Happy are those who hear the words of Jesus and know him. Hear it and be wise. Do not disdain it. Happy is the one who listens to me waiting daily at my gates. Do you know who would wait daily at the gates in ancient worlds? Beggars waiting for their daily bread. So wisdom says to Solomon's son, Come and sit daily at my gates. Beg of me the bread of life, Jesus Christ, waiting at the posts of my door for whoever finds me, whoever finds Jesus, the point of every page in the scriptures, obtains favor and finds life. For in Christ is life and life eternal. He who sins against me wrongs his own soul. He who rejects the scriptures and ignores them He who rejects Christ and ignores him hurts his own soul. Indeed, he loves death and embraces death, for there is no life outside of Christ. No life outside of the Christ we find in the scriptures. Let me sum up this incredible story that is, frankly, a systematic theology into itself. Three times in the Bible, God says to his prophet, Eat this book. Jeremiah says, I have eaten your word. Ezekiel is handed a scroll and said, eat it. John is sitting on the island of Patmos, scribbling out the visions that he sees, and he gets to the seven thunders of the great angel who stands with one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. And as he goes to write, all of a sudden he hears a voice saying, no, 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 don't write that one down. No, go eat that one. Go take into yourself the very word of God. Receive into your soul the truth of Jesus Christ and be transformed by him. Dear saints, God's word gives us God. Listen carefully to it. God's word gives us God. So listen carefully to it. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for our beautiful Savior. We thank you that in him is all wisdom. That according to the Apostle Paul, he is the wisdom of God and he is the wisdom from God. And we give you thanks, O God, for the wisdom we have heard this day, that we must listen to him, your beloved son. Father, forgive us that we are so often distracted and so easily deceived, but give us now listening ears and listening hearts to receive from your scriptures, your son, Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for him and ask these things in his name. Amen.